Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk, baby. It's been a challenging day on the podcast network that we have. Um, the network now includes um, Horror Drafts, featuring our friend and colleague, Brantley Palmer, and... Um, What's the other one called, Lee? Total yeah, Recall? Yeah, a new pod, uh, Mission Recall, hosted by uh, a college classmate of mine, Steve Parkhurst and Oriana Schwint. Uh, and they discuss 90s action movies. And trust me, it's a blast. I would encourage everybody to check that out. I didn't know that was allowed. Because um, otherwise, Lee, I think you and I would have started that podcast a long time ago. But yep. somebody's holding us back on that. so this week speaking of action movies we are discussing the 2001 ridley scott film black hawk down starring everyone everyone (laughs) um or as gary oldman says everyone (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah uh let's uh get started lee you've got a a question for us, I guess. I'm hosting, but you're going to kick us off. Yeah. So, Black Hawk Down came out in 2001. We were all in high school. Um, Jeremy, mm. you, of course, remember a history teacher of ours in high school. Great, great teacher by the name of Mr. Berg. Mm-hmm. And he was oddly influential to, I think, both of us when it came to movies and our growth in movies i recently sent you a link on instagram about imdb celebrating its 31st anniversary and one mr berg our history teacher introduced me to that site on his i think it was orange imac in in history class and i thought it was blue it might have been blue i don't actually remember what color it was but everybody remembers those imacs and you know we watched glory in his class, um, was this know. a history class? <laughs> yes, because that was, was history. That's history. history. Civil War. Denzel Washington. <laughs> so, anyway, so you know, this particular teacher, I think, you know, surprisingly had kind of a big influence on on me getting into movies, and I remember very specifically. And Jeremy, maybe you do too. And in fact, I remember you and I having a conversation, sort of critiquing this. But he refused to see Black Hawk Down because he didn't agree with the politics of the situation surrounding the event that it covers. Now, That's not how movies work, Mr. Berg. <laughs> and I think you said something similar to that at the time, some 20 years ago, Jeremy. Advanced. Um, I and went through, have an advanced sin. I went through and looked at some of the excerpts from the Metacritic reviews because I was curious. I was like, okay, what what did what did people have to say that was bad about this movie? And it was interesting. You know, there were some pre- regular critiques, but a lot of things seemed to 
have a similar thought process of that, that that they were coming from a point that this was a situation that shouldn't have happened. This this raid uh, on the Bakara market in Somalia uh, to extract these people that obviously went very poorly. It was supposed to last a half hour that lasted all night long and lost, you know, 19 American lives and, you know, hundreds of Somalian lives. And I was like, okay, well, if that's going to be your critique, fine. But I want to hear it. I want to hear a movie critique. I want to hear what your issue is with the movie. Now, I'm going to come right out and say it. I know this is not standard procedure for the podcast, but I fucking love this movie. And I want you guys to convince me that this is just not a perfect movie. And that's not something we tend to throw out, but convince me. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't know. The movie on its own merits is kind of perfect. It's a full out from like the beginning to the end. Uh, I don't even want to call it an action movie, but just nonstop action, which is sort of hard to pull off in that. Because you... When you want, like, when you want to engage an audience, you want to kind of get their heart rate up and down, up and down, get them going, like, and then keep them in suspense. Whereas this movie is just like pretty much full out uh, a gunfight from, I don't know, 10 minutes in till about three minutes left. Mm -hmm. But that's what happened. And you still get to learn the characters and feel for them and understand them and understand their motivations and who they are. So and I think personalities, it, yeah. Yeah, I think it works perfectly on that sense. I don't know. I don't really get what you're trying to get. Is it a perfect movie like Casablanca is a perfect movie? I no, mean, maybe. It, I don't know. It's, like I'm it's having a, a hard movie. time. I I'll just come out and say I'm having a hard time finding something wrong with this movie. Like it is expertly made. It is a masterclass in filmmaking the cinematography is outstanding the acting across the board is great you can i mean if you want to nitpick some things fine jason isaac's american accent sure like you have movie stars top to bottom it is a full-on like you said action-packed war movie that just never lets your heart rate stop and for what this movie is trying to accomplish i really really struggled to find any flaws and okay i don't i don't know i'm wait i i'm i, I want to hear what you guys think i think that might be where if where there is a flaw is that i don't know what this movie is trying to accomplish i don't know what this movie is trying to do say or convey to us um i agree with everything you say and my opening question that you took away stole, stole from me <laughs> Um, was going to be like, how do you evaluate a movie like this? That's so impressive. Just like in terms of what they achieved, like yeah. in many ways, I think this movie is more impressive than Titanic, which we recently reviewed, right? Like, mm -hmm. like just the, the amount of stories that are interwoven together, the amount of characters, I mean, it just the sheer percent more impressive, the, the sheer the set design magnitude of the I movie. I mean, where did they film this? Like, how did they get this done? Yeah. Like, and, and it's, it's just like, it's incredible. It's incredible, of. and we you don't think about that. But I think what, at the end of the day, I think what makes this not a perfect, perfect movie is that it is a little 
rudderless when it comes to hmm. what the point of the movie. I mean, there are a lot of things wrong with it from a political standpoint. Like, I right. think the right. one big thing that I thought was just sort of egregious was like none of the people look Somali, you know, like, you know, Somalis look like Baka Abdi. What the, what's the yeah. actor? From uh, Captain Phillips. Yeah, like that's what Somalis look like. And these are all like West African extras that they've hired. And look like like that might not seem well, like a big deal. What are they going to do? Bring in a bunch of Somali extras? Yeah, I mean, they've, from, yeah of course. Yes. Like, yes. No, they don't have thousands they, of them. They found everybody else. Practical. They got. They literally got every other, every American, every British actor and every American but, Yeah, actor. but none of those guys were big at the time. They saved money on this cast, weirdly. But, but I guess. Yeah, let's, well, let's, let's get to that later. Let's put that aside. But I just think like. What are we meant to take away from this? Like, I think what I told you guys, my my big takeaway is, holy shit, the sheer power of the American military force. And I don't think that's the takeaway from this particular situation historically. Like to, to that point, I said when the the final credits rolled and it said like 19 Americans died, but a thousand Somali uh, what what are they? Not soldiers, but uh, militia, yeah. Yeah, died. I was like nineteen to a thousand. That's that's insane. Jeremy, can you turn your mic? Cause it's a little bit hot. You might be just a little careful of that. So I wonder if it's a good question, Chapin. And you know, I ask this question like, convince me that this is not a perfect movie. I don't know that I believe that this is a perfect movie. I want to have the discussion, which is why I bring it up. And I think what you're saying is a good point. It it does it does make you wonder like what is this movie trying to accomplish? And I wonder if it's anything more than just a recreation. And in many ways, I'm fine with that. If you're going to do it with this, you know, at at this caliber, then go for it. Go for a recreation. A lot of times that doesn't work. I think I think it would have hurt if this became a political sort of. I mean, there's some rah rah Americanism in this, but very very minor, and it. And I don't think it, I don't think it gives you that kind of like, oh, this didn't age well no, of, feeling no, at all. No, of course. I don't think that, so at all. That's and not I think, what I'm, like, oh, I'm sorry. I think like Eric Bana's speech at the end kind of sums up the only thing this movie's trying to uh, it's say. It's next to you. It's about the person next to you is really what it comes down to, which is apolitical. And, okay. I, I think that's kind of it. But like, I think that's a little bit naive to say that. And I don't mean like, I don't mean that the, the, I honestly don't think it's just limited to the political ramifications of this, although I think that's something to discuss, but it, it just, it's like all the sound and fury, you know, signifying nothing, you know, it's like, it's, it's so, it's so well done. It is so monumentous in its achievement and its scale, but I just, I don't know that it has like a point of view. Like if you look at something like Saving Private Ryan, which honestly is like a less impressive movie from a sheer scale and production point of view, I you kind of know what they're doing there. You know, like I think they kicked off the sort of war as hell thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, the greatest generation and this war that Americans in specifically, but I think the world has sort of romanticized look it wasn't like that it was like what we imagine war is like horrifying and gritty and um i think there's a little of that in black hawk down um 
and you sure you certainly get a sense of like what modern warfare looks like, right? Like this is your this is what modern warfare, um, similar to what we're doing in Iraq, similar to what we did in Afghanistan. Like this is what fighting battles these days looks like, but I don't know that it's saying anything. I don't know that it's conveying so, anything to us, and and that's fine. Like it it doesn't it doesn't need to. Like it's this movie's so entertaining and moving. Um, and, uh, special that it, that it doesn't need to, doesn't need to do it, but it doesn't, it's not like a movie like the Hurt Locker, which is absolutely saying something interesting and has a point of view. Yeah. I think it's a really fine line and trying to figure out which side this movie falls on is difficult because there's a, there's a number of scenes in this movie that, are about that Eric Bana speech, right? It's a, it's about the man next to you. And, you know, we have the doctor that, you know, is trying to save the guy whose femoral artery is hit. And when he, when he dies, he like just continues to try to save him. You have the, the literally two soldiers that go to the, the downed black Hawk to try to, you know, protect it. Um, when Ron Eldred is, is stranded there there's so many scenes where these soldiers are looking out for each other. You have, you know, the guy who's from moral artery gets hit. That happens when he tries to save Tom Hardy. And I think that's Which we're all, all thankful for. That's, that's for sure. Um, that's all sprinkled into the movie, but it's never emphasized to the point where this movie becomes like a Mark Wahlberg war movie and you guys know what i mean by that like it's just well, overemphasizing it's <laughs> the the her- the heroism of these people and like yeah. i don't want to undermine that and i don't think the movie does too but i think where it succeeds so well is in just making that part of the movie instead of making that what the movie's about right it's funny this is you a mentioned... recreation of the the event and as a result, we see how heroic these guys were in protecting each other and making sure they all got out. Well, I was going to compare it to a different Mark Wahlberg movie that I really actually like because there's there's a couple scenes where this this movie sort of touches on the politics of it. Like, should we be there? Should we not be there? And that's always been the question for America in wars, especially anything post-World War II, is why are we there? Why are we fighting other people's battles? And there's one scene... Uh, where the Somali uh, soldiers take uh, captive one of the American pilot uh, helicopter yeah, pilots. Yeah, the Ron Eldred, yep. Yeah, and they almost have that conversation about, like, why, what are you doing here? Do you think just because you kill this one guy, the, the violence is going to stop? It, it reminds me of that scene in Three Kings with Mark mm-hmm. Wahlberg yep. when he gets captured except for that scene go the difference is that scene sort of just goes goes for it fully i think they both work really really well um but it it shows how black hawk down sort of just it, it touches on these points because these points are important and without them you have no context really for what is happening around you but they don't really make a decision on those points whereas like three kings sort of shows yeah we probably shouldn't be there like what are we doing and i i think those are compare comparable scenes 
yeah, that's I mean, a great it, point. That's a really good point, Jeremy. And I, and I think you, what you, an interesting point you raise is that I, this is a really controversial episode because, you know, we weren't there for, at least as I understand it, in a sort of very fundamental and sort of like elementary way. I, I don't think we were there for oil or resources. We were there fundamentally for humanitarian reasons, like to, like mm-hmm. to help these people in these awful situations. But then you see what happens when this giant military force gets involved in with these, you know, these sort of low tech militias and a thousand people die. And, um, you know, we, we wipe the floor with them and we didn't, we don't win, you know, like that's, that's a metaphor right there for Iraq and Afghanistan, like in Vietnam, it doesn't matter exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter that we are this superior military force. We kick the shit out of those people and it doesn't matter. Like they're, we still lost, but like, I don't think that movie is discussing those issues. I mean, you come to that conclusion and, but don't you, yeah. But don't you think that that's it? You do come to that conclusion. Like I, I, you know, any way I can get to this scene, I want to. There, the I've watched it a thousand times in my life, and 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 five hundred times since I watched the movie the other night. When Josh Hartnett runs across the street to throw the strobe on the on the roof, just unbelievably amazing scene. The music, the cinematography, everything. But oh, those then guns coming in. But then the helicopters come in and just wipe these guys out. Just completely wipe them out. And that all comes after Sam Shepard says, if we don't push back this city, we're going to have 100 or 1,000 people dead by morning, whatever he says. 100. 100 dead by morning. And they just wipe them out. And then later in the movie, we just see these guys limping out of there, just trying to get home as if they accomplished nothing. And that's exactly the point you're making, Chapin, is that like, while this movie maybe isn't saying it, it is saying it. It's making a very clear point that maybe this was for nothing. It has this, the the titles at the end that say, you know, um, you know, Sam Shepard's General Garrison took full responsibility for the for the raid. He he retired as soon as um, Adid was killed, and like it was a debacle. It was a mess, and I think this movie is admitting that. And it's just, it is in many ways just a recreation. It is just showing you what happened and. If you want to add additional po- political viewpoints to it, that's your own prerogative. I think the less you do that, the better, because I think that there are some there that it's trying to say. But it is very neutral in that regard. All right. So beyond that, like, just how, how did Ridley Scott pull this off to just sort of engage an audience for two and a half hours where it, it, it the time goes by like instantly because it's just well the first you never hour? get bored with you never get bored with this battle like everything you know, you know I, we talk about stakes all the time there's no movie with higher stakes constantly than this film the you know, first hour is nearly real time. They they show the timestamps when they land on the hel- they do that kind of cool shot, low angle shot when the helicopter lands. It says like three thirty, and then it's not exactly real time. But nearly an hour later, we get another timestamp, and it's like four thirty. So but, that first hour they're there is nearly real time, which is incredible. Th- th- this movie, I think, what's pretty 
incredible about this is this movie had like a Richard Jewell-esque production timeline. They wrapped filming in June and it was released in December. That's nuts. I mean, imagine. Where, like, where imagine, did they shoot? And the editing in this movie is unreal. And yeah. it got nominated for an Oscar. Who's been his longtime editor, right? For a long time. Although he hasn't cut his stuff recently. but And the cinematographer in this movie is not. I mean, he's not like, prof, like prolific in terms of his credits either. He's done some, some things, but. Um, an amazing, amazing job. Uh, it's a, I forget it. It's a Polish guy, Sławomir Idzak. Yeah. Do you guys know where they actually shot this? Because yes, I don't. How? So how did they pull? How did they do that? They just like they just built give it. Give them four blocks and said destroy it. Yeah, I think they built a lot of that. I mean, stuff. this is a it is a huge budget movie. It's ninety two million dollar movie. It really didn't do. I mean, it did fine. But it's it not. Lo- like, I mean, it, yeah, it didn't, probably didn't make any money. Yeah, which is just, you know, it's an R-rated movie. But you know, I remember this. I remember this coming out in high school. Like I, I saw this. I'm pretty sure I saw this in the theater. I was. It was a big DVD movie. Um, but you know, I don't know. Like I just think that this. I, I think a secondary piece to my opening question is obviously has a lot to do with Ridley Scott, right? Like this is not necessarily a director that is foreign to, you know, big, expensive, well-done action movies. But we talked about Gladiator last year, and I think we were all sort of like, really? And, you know, that's his Oscar-winning movie. You know, you have Blade Runner and Alien, of course, from the 70s. But this has got to be... and. This has got to be one of his best movies, like easily. It, well, it's probably it's in those top three that you just mentioned. Top three, top sure. five, something like that, for sure. Well, I don't, I can't name like Gladiator, as we found out. Like I kept thinking, just like how much better this movie is it's than Gladiator. So much better. It's uh, and and it came a year after Gladiator, which he won obviously Best Picture for. But it's just it's so much more. It's so much better directed. Right? It's so much more intelligently directed. Mm. It seems so much more, it's it's so much well, it, it's storyboarded so well. It seems like everything is just done on such an expert level where Gladiator felt kind of like, I'm good at this, I'll just put this together, right? Yeah, he's, and, and, he's such an inconsistent director in my opinion. Like, I mean, that's true. He Like, he's just like, you know, I mean, this 2000, 2001 is a turning point for him. You know, he makes, four, he, he does Thelma and Louise, big hit, does 1492, Conquest of Paradise. I mean, no one talks about that movie because it's about Columbus and it was a bomb. G.I. Jane, okay. And then, and White Squall. And then Gladiator Hannibal and Black Hawk Down in like 18 months. A year, in two years. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, but then he goes to Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, which I know is a good year. Yeah, and then you know America. So like, he Robin Hood is just a huge stinker. The Gray Area got better reviews than Robin Hood. Um, American Gangster is great, but like, Actually, like it's just it's interesting. He's just he's just very inconsistent, and he's got some great movies for sure. But he's also got some real stinkers. 
it's obvious while well, we should obviously mention why we're why we're talking about this movie of course it's the 20 year anniversary but we're hoping that maybe our next podcast is his newest film the last duel yeah and he's also uh, got house of gucci coming out this year but don't um, you think you need to be an incredible director to guide an audience through this movie without yes. them getting lost as to where they are who people are all so that let's like, get into that all, all that stuff is, is just any other like any less of a director or any less of a Ridley Scott movie, you know, you would be absolutely lost. You wouldn't care about any of these characters. Um, and the movie would just be a repetition of itself throughout and it would be bad. Instead, this movie is exciting throughout. You care about all the characters and you're never lost as to where they are or what's happening. So let's let's get into that more because this you have just it like an, an incredible cast. Now, granted, a lot of these people were, it, this was before they were famous, but, you know, Josh Hartnett is the quote-unquote lead who is really good in this movie. He is. Ewan McGregor, Tom Sizemore, Eric Bana, w- William Fickner, Ewan Bremner, Sam Shepard, Kim Coates for Sons of Anarchy fans, Ron Eldred is a pretty consistent character actor, Tom Guiri for Sandlot and Mystic River fans, Jason Isaac, uh, who else we got here? That doesn't even um, the cast list. I have to click to a different page. Tom Hardy's in this movie. Um, Orlando Bloom is in this movie. Um, Jamie Lannister, Nikolai Coster Waldo is in this movie. Let's keep going down the list. Ty Burrell from Modern Family is in this movie. Yeah. It is just... Uh, Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven is in this movie. Everybody is in this. And yes, we watch this now 20 years after its release and we recognize a lot of these faces. Maybe that helps. But I didn't spend a single second watching this wondering who these characters were, where they were, and like what their objective was. Like I just think that this movie is so well controlled. You all, He's smart enough to give... The, the right characters, personalities. Like, I love that Ewan McGregor is sort of just kind of this like desk jockey that is good at making coffee, but then is just like, like all about it when he finally gets out to fight. I love that scene when the convoy finally arrives at the Black Hawk down site to rescue, you know, Josh Harton and everybody get them out of there. And Tom Sizemore gets out and there's bullets flying everywhere. And he just casually walks through yeah, it. And he's I like, thought, I heard you guys I need a lift. We- I thought it was weird when he said, I did this in World War II, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he, he, um, he's, he was at uh, Normandy. So, he's, yeah. you know, he's been there, he's like, done where's that. The, he started collecting sand. Yeah. Yep. But he gets shot right away. And I love the relationship between the Rangers and the Deltas. Like, all of this stuff is thing, are things that a lesser filmmaker, a lesser screenplay does not have in there, but it allows you to know who every single one of these characters is. And then how he navigates the space of this, this city is incredible. Like, I don't know how those things got downplayed because of whatever people's other issues with this movie were like, well, we it's not about only Mulholland the space Drive the- last week, which I love. This is the best movie of 2001. No doubt about it in my mind. Well, that's a, well, that's a to big pi- claim. Oh, just to piggyback What's on better? your point. What's better? Lee, 
hold on, hold on. Just to piggyback on your point before we move on, like as far as the space, it's like not only did he navigate the space so well, but he navigate na- navigated the space in with the helicopters in the air on the yep, ground, everything, and also with like those hundreds of extras moving in and out, and like it just didn't ever seem confusing. Nope, it's amazing. And Chape, I mean, what's better, Memento, maybe? I don't know. I don't know if there's a better movie from 2001 than this. This, I, this, I was, I've always liked this movie, but I, I just rewatching it, I was like, this is unbelievably made. And yeah. everything you just said, Jeremy, like these are movies, and I've been critical of, like, I've been critical of Blade Runner because I have no idea where I am the entire movie, and it's intentional. It's the way Ridley Scott shoots the movie. It's the opposite here. You can navigate this city and all these characters so well. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would kind of agree. I mean, I don't have a list of two thousand and one movies in front of me, but I'm looking. I'm looking at the Oscar movies. I mean, obviously, Beautiful Mind, no, In the Bedrooms, good movie, Training Day, Gosford Park, Moulin Rouge, Fellowship of the Ring, Ali, Memento, Sexy Beast. Mm. I don't Iris. What I it's mean, good, Mulholland Drive. Like, it's good, but I I just I can't imagine a movie being better than this. I've seen all these movies, not necessarily recently, but you know we've res- revisited a handful of them, and I'm just saying like this is the most impressively made. It's really well structured. The characters are great. I don't know that there's a better movie from 2001. Wow. Chapin, you keep being surprised by that, but you don't have anything. You don't have a counter. Artificial intelligence. Yes, that was great. Kubrick Spielberg collab. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely an interesting point, Lee. There you go. There you have it, folks. Um, it. Lee Look, I, I makes think, interesting points. I think one thing I've always really been interested in. I tried a little bit to ask Jeremy about this at one point, but is the way directors use the time they have to make a film. Like Ridley Scott is someone who just works fast and we know Spielberg works fast and And, and clearly they don't lose anything. Well, that's the thing. I mean, sometimes they do. We know Clint does. (laughs) Um, And I don't think they quite work at Clint level of speed, but I think what's important to remember is that, you know, you're to work fast on a, on a sort of, um, you know, from, from pre-production to post-production doesn't mean you're like hurrying and hurrying and hurrying through the movie. What it means is you trust your collaborators, your editor, your cinematographer, and you, and you know what you your want. producers, and you know what you want and your visual effects artists and people like that. Right. So yeah, they shot this in four months. That's incredible. But to, to post this movie in an additional like six months, that's incredible. That is incredible. It's amazing. And and I think to and he's got big movies on either side of this. You know, he just come off two big movies with the same editor. I think it's important to understand that your your collab you trust your collaborators to help you make this. I mean, he made this is another year where two movies are coming out uh, by Ridley Scott. I mean, obviously Last Duel is delayed a little bit but still yeah, but like it's still fast yeah um and and i think like that's something he has always been good at he he makes a lot of movies like back to back like that and 
Um, you know, he famously reshot all of uh, Christopher yeah. Plummer's all the money in the world. Yeah. Yeah. in like five days or something like that. Um, and, and, you know, like Scott might not be the same, might not be like the most revered director on this podcast. Um, I don't think any of us think of him as, as one of our favorites, but um, like a true master, someone like that who, like Fincher, you know, although he, Fincher is not a good example of someone who works fast, <laughs> came up in commercials and, and knows how to get, you know, knows how to be scrappy when it comes to this kind of stuff is you just, it's, 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 it's you, you get things like this as a result and you can, you have a very impressive filmography. Then here's the question. Why? Cause you do, you see movies like this or the Martian or any of his great films. And then you wonder why he's, he has so many clunkers. Well, he just like, makes he a lot such... of movies. I mean, since yeah, he, he made he this has, movie, he he's g- made one, two. I don't see him as like the Soderbergh type, where it's just like, whatever, let's get it in and get it out, and maybe yeah, we'll hit one, one in ten. Yeah, because he's the big storyboarder. You imagine that he goes into I, every I movie like with has, a very specific vision. I feel like he's more of a master, yeah. I feel like, like I know like Scorsese or Fincher, they don't have... They don't have every movie. Every movie's not great, but they don't have like terrible films. Okay, well, l- l- listen to this. From 2010, Robin Hood, Prometheus, Counselor, Exodus, The Martian, Alien Covenant, All the Money in the World. That all in seven years, that many movies. And those and are look, not small movies. I mean, The Counselor and- is the smallest one of those, and that's packed full of stars. And it, like, that's. And none of those are, I would argue, are great, but they're none of them are bad. Well, The Martian's great, I think. Yes, Martian is great. But, like, the rest are, like... I actually don't think I ever saw that Robin Hood, unfortunately, but the rest of them I saw. And I think they're just, like... Look, if those are your... If those are your duds, then, then fine. When, you know, American Gangster and... Black Hawk Down and Alien and and Blade Runner are your hits. I'm okay with, and even Gladiator being one of your duds. Like I'm okay with that. Like if you look through his filmography, yes, he's had misses, but I don't know that any of these movies just suck. No, you know, and we can't say that about like Clint, for example. Like he's made movies that just genuinely suck. I don't know. Has have any of us seen Exodus, Gods and Kings? I don't think any. I saw it. I saw it. It was fine. I, I very very forgettable. Um, but like, if you look even at their meta scores, like all those, all those movies are just like fifties, right? Which are just like not quite bad. <laughs> I mean, it's middle I mean, of the road. We don't watch them, right? But yeah, I don't know. Like, but the I, I don't know. Black Hawk Down has a seventy-four on Metacritic. How much can we really keep trusting that? Yeah. Kingdom of Heaven is one I really need to revisit, especially the director's cut, because my understanding is that yeah, it's an entirely that. different movie. Because so I are there any, really didn't like that. Any standout performances in this? It's hard. It's hard with a movie that I mean, this I, big of an ensemble how about, piece. Uh, how about uh, I think um, I think Ewan Bremner is good. And I love his yep, his shit with is. Tom Hardy is great. Yeah, when he goes deaf, I think that's a great relationship. Look, Josh Hartnett is excellent in this movie. And it made me I mean, wonder if like, Josh is a Hartnett's fucking actually... man in this. He is yeah. awesome in yeah, this. He's awesome. In, in a movie full of Rangers and uh, Navy SEALs, he stands out as like, oh, good, he's here. He's like, he could have been on our list of people yeah. who are good at their jobs. 
Oh, Wh- for sure. Oh, you know who's yep. also that way is William Fickner. Yeah, which, but all the all the all the rank, all the Delta guys. Yeah, he's the he's the Delta uh, guy. But that's the thing that they do so well is they do make these guys so competent, and like you do feel like these are the elite well, yeah, soldiers. I mean, Delta is like the most elite unit of right. the military, and even the Rangers are great though. Like. But yeah, look, all everybody's good in this movie. Fucking Orlando Bloom is fine in this movie. He's got a small part, but he's does his job. Yeah. What, what better okay. way? What better, better usage yeah. of Orlando Bloom is to yeah, fucking have drop him, him out of a helicopter in the yeah. first ten minutes? Ridley's like, I'm not gonna get anything else out yeah, of him. Uh, yeah. it. Well, I don't know. He did cast him later on in a as a starring role, so he must have liked him. In what? In Kingdom of Heaven. Oh right. I mean, um, do you think there's? Do you think ugh. anything's hurt by this movie for being say Sam, such an ensemble oh, piece? Like, there's I was nobody. Point out Sam there's Shepard's nobody. Performance was great too, but oh yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. I, don't I think that's what Jason Isaac. Jason Isaac's accent is a little distracting at times. Well, Sizemore's great. Sizemore is great. Um, no, there's no distraction here, and. The the thing that's interesting is that there are these like huge actors in this that weren't necessarily huge then, but they are they are fully in the roles, right? Like it's not weird seeing Ty Burrell, who's this like goofy dad on Modern Family, as an elite soldier, you know, and as a pilot that is <laughs> is fighting. He just fits in, and you know, I remember listening to. Uh, one of the ringer podcasts, maybe the big picture. And they were talking about Tom Hardy in his career. And this is his first just, movie, by the way, they were gushing over him. Of course, no, you know, obviously we love Tom Hardy too, but they were gushing over like how good he is in this movie. And yeah, he's good in this movie, but like he's forgettable in this movie. If you didn't know, it was if Tom you didn't Hardy, know it was Tom Hardy, nobody knew who he was in this point. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. He's good, but he's just like everybody else in this movie. And that's what makes it work. So, I don't, I don't know. know. I think, Tom I think Hardy's more people... likely to listen to the Ringer podcast than he is to ours, so maybe that's what they're trying to do there. But I think some people were better than others, but but again, back to Scott, he did such a good job of balancing it so that nobody tipped the scales in their direction yep. that you're just like, oh, well, I'm, I'm rooting for... It, it became about the mission. It became about the the teamwork of these men and not but about just, individuals. And that's hard to pull off with but that's you true, got a but cast also, of personalities. But also he did that exactly, but he gave these characters individual personalities. Most movies wouldn't bother with that. I no, think that's but what's I'm incredible. saying as far as actors trying to well, like No, 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 right. Of... Nothing stands out, nothing is over overwhelms anything else, but in doing that you could have ended up with just, you know, 50 guys that are basically all the same. I mean, but instead, to that you point, know who all these characters are. To that point, there were two people, the guy that the guy that did die with the femoral artery and then the guy that survived um that uh You mean rookie of the year? Uh that Jason I- Isaacs talks to and, and tells him to hold the gun and anyone comes through that door shoot. I, I did. Oh, I, Jason Isaac doesn't say that. That's no, uh, no. Who he tells it to, whoever that is. Anyhow, yeah, well, Ron Eldred, yeah, is yeah. The guy they that, they yeah. were very similar. I thought I I thought the guy with the femoral artery didn't die at the end. I was like, I'm I was so confused. 
<laughs> um, yeah, that's the kid from Rookie of the Year. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's no, not. The kid from Rookie of the Year is the kid from, from American, American Pie. American Pie, come yeah, on. Yeah, isn't that the same kid? No, no. Ridley Scott would never cast him. The, the that's kid like that Tom, said Thomas Thomas Ian something is that guy's name. The worst line in any movie ever was that that in American Pie he says, "Oh, I'm just sick of these blowjobs." <laughs> he doesn't yeah. say that. Yeah, Clearly, somebody who's never been married. <laughs> Thomas Ian Nicholas. Yeah, he is not in Black Hawk Down. Oh, who's that kid? <laughs> <laughs> Who's there? Who? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good thing nobody Never, I didn't understand podcast. that then, and I hadn't even gotten a bludge. I was like, I, I don't think he gets sick of them. <laughs> doesn't sound I like something you I don't tired. think that's something you're like, that doesn't oh, sound right. It. You know what's <laughs> funny about that scene? In... <laughs> I never understood. I never understood. <laughs> How... <laughs> never mind. Never mind. <laughs> no, no, no. Now we have to hear it. Do we have to stop recording? Well, you know how the cum gets into the beer that Stifler drinks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How he got it so perfectly in there? Yeah. So I was like, wait a second. Does she... But she's just... Yeah. She's she, spitting. It's a trend. She's yeah, spitting. Yeah, yeah. I, I always thought... She... <laughs> you thought she, she, okay. thought she held it out. Yeah. yeah now, yeah. now that we finished with Black Hawk Down, let's move right into American Pie. In the flaws of American Pie. <laughs> oh, this man. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh. Oh, um, I have an idea of what we could follow. But Jeremy, um, we yep. never released our uh, pod, our our thing on IATSE, but maybe you want to talk yeah, a little got, bit about it. Was dated, yeah. So about what happened. Want... Oh yeah, you never released that. Oh, I can still release it, but no, well, it's well, very dated point. now. Yeah. Um, well, they came to an agreement, sort of, uh, 11th hour. Uh, the, the details are still a little bit vague. The, you know, um, some of the bigger points are we now get 10 hour guaranteed 10 hour turnaround. So basically they can't, they have to give us 10 hours. I mean, that's usually the case. Like a lot of people have that built in, but it's not guaranteed. Now it's guaranteed for shooting crew that they get 10 hour turnaround. Yeah, Lee. I have a question about that. So yeah. you theoretic, theor- theoretically, the locations department is first in last out. Yeah. That may so not be true. If you have a 10 hour turnaround, that means everybody else has even more of a turnaround. Is that what's going to happen? I I I I would be surprised. I'd be surprised. So, this, so that ten hour or turnaround doesn't help you. It, I don't think it helps me that much. No. What does help me though? It, I mean, it gives <clears throat> it gives the shooting crew more of a turnaround, which then essentially gives me more of a turnaround. But we do get a I think it's fifty four turn fifty four hour turnaround on the weekends. So yeah, which is big. That's really big. So even if they work us all of Friday night into Saturday morning, we can't then shoot again until Tuesday, technically, yeah. which is which is huge. And then if they do give us a six-day, it's, uh, I think, 32 be, hours after yeah. that. So, I mean, that's significant for sure. And then there's, uh, I think, a 3% pay increase annually. And this is for the national IOTC 
agreement. So this is going to be true for wherever you go uh, and work, whether it's L.A. or Boston or Atlanta. Um, but each individual uh, local negotiates their thing as well. So it's not quite done yet. I mean, I would have to say that the original responses that I've seen on social media have been quite negative. I mean, I, I think the 10-hour turnaround hurts. Like, people wanted 12, which I get. Um, I think that's that's a big sticking point. They said 3% annually isn't great, but, you know, and everyone I, complained, I... complains that inflation's higher than that. But it is only higher than that currently. On average, inflation's like... A little under two percent, so it is gains. Um, they, but I yes. have a question. I sure. So, and this is what I don't understand exactly: is that what leg did the studios have to stand on? It seemed like the union had all of the power in this. How did they not get anything that they wanted? Who aside from the the IATSE? Like, if I you mean, wanted twelve-hour turnarounds. How if could they want, not get that? What's, what are the students going to do? It. They didn't ask for it. I think IATI got everything they wanted. Okay. In in general, they got everything that they asked for. I think the the problem that IATI had was they didn't tell its members what they were fighting for. Right. In general. So we sort of, they just said longer turnarounds, um, a pay raise, more pension, like, all, and they got all that. They got they got that stuff. Um, but we, you know, I think people took that as we want. I I'm not trying to be negative, Nelly, but like I feel like this is prime for the same thing to happen again in five years when I, I think either either you know productions find their way around or find paying penalties. I thought that was another thing that there were increased penalties. Um, so it's going to cost them more if they abuse these. Yeah. Breaks, oh, that but... was the other thing. Meal penalties. It's it, if they don't um, have. I was breaks, trying to read gonna, that, and I was. The it's going to cost thing. them a lot more money. It's like at hourly. It, it, yeah, I think like it, after a certain it's, after it a certain so amount confusing. of hours, it be, basically becomes your hourly wage. So I just think and, like, and the other thing they were asking for is increased wages for uh, yeah, streamers streamers which they got i don't think they got it to equal as movies but it got increased so i mean technically everything they asked for they did get but that's that's a perfect example like they didn't get the streamers as high as as the like the warner brothers and universals why if if they don't get exactly what they want Two thirds of the unions that work on movies are not Wait, working. So does that mean that means is that residuals or is that upfront? No, no, that's hour, just that's salary. Hourly, yeah. So Apple, the richest company in the world, pays less than yeah NBC Universal. They, we made a deal, like I don't know, whatever three yeah, when five they first years started, ago, yeah. that new media, anything streaming like Netflix or whatever. You get you can get paid less because they didn't have a business model for it and they didn't know mm, what they were going to make. Yeah. And now it's like the only thing people have. Um, that's that's weird. So that kind of was a big sticking point. Um, yeah, there's only there was I, I don't have it in front of me, but there were only two points that IATSE didn't get. Um, so all the stuff that we did get, whether it's up to standards or 
what people think should be correct or not. It it's what the it's what the union negotiated. So I think, like I said, the biggest problem was we didn't know what the union was negotiating. And when we found out what it was, everyone's like, well, they they caved, but they didn't. The thing is, they it's didn't. It's just strange. Really. Like, I, I'm going to exaggerate to make my point, but like, they could have asked for 10% pay increases. What What leg did the studios have to stand on? It's like, give us what we want or you won't make movies. Well, I think when they, I think the problem is they came in the to the negotiations in good faith yeah. and a strike wasn't really on the radar and then when the the uh studios weren't going to negotiate then the strike became on the radar but by then you can't go back and be like and now we want uh i mean 10% I guess not, yeah but yeah. yeah so they'd asked for one thing before threatening to strike yeah yeah so uh, yeah. So we got streaming residuals and wages; they went up. Um, pensions went up. Uh, I mean, the Pension, amount of so you can retire. The amount of hours that you need to qualify for uh for them to put in for your uh health care went up. Um, they were cut, they were the studio was trying to cut all those things. I mean, if I if I was going to get into details, like the new agreement keeps the status quo penalties for the uh, this is meal penalties for the first two hours, but then doubles the penalty after eight hours from twelve fifty per half hour to twenty five dollars per half hour. Um, so it becomes super expensive per not, person. Per person. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, to not break for meals. Um, but they're still not going to. You're going to get the AD that's just like, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, the bigger movies, if they can afford to do it. Um, Is that a big deal to you, Jeremy? No, no. To me, it doesn't matter because... I always I'm remember... There's that Entourage break. episode where Stellan Skarsgård is the director that... Yeah. Fire fire movie, and they're like, we're in meal penalties. Like, I don't care, another take. That's how I picture all sets. Um, I'm trying to think. There, I'm trying to find what what they didn't get, but I'm sure you can look it up. There's there's two points that are kind of small that the that the uh, union didn't get, and now see. now everyone in Niopsy has to. Vote yeah, they, to ratify. I know. Right? Uh, I'll be curious where that goes. I think it might. I mean, I could see it going either way. Um, you know, it's dangerous in a way to say no because then they have to go back to the table um, to yeah, negotiate, not, and then we working. could get, and then we could get nothing. So, I, I, who knows how it's going to go? But yeah, I mean, that's I mean, where it's, that's it's where an improvement, it is. if nothing else. It's for sure an improvement. Um, and if people don't like it, they can vote no, and we can get back to uh, maybe going on strike. So we'll, we'll, then we can air that episode. That'll be exciting. Because it was such a letdown when you weren't going on strike. <laughs> we had loads of content that we could discuss for months. As I became poorer and poorer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you got the pod. 
I, yeah, well, then I'd have to do the pod on uh, on Mr. Berg's blue iMac. Yeah. <laughs> that he donated to me <laughs> after I sold my computer. All right. Capen? Well, that's going to do it for this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I think we'd like to announce right now, if Lee and I get around to it, we might do a live podcast. Not live to you, but without a live edits. Watch. A live watch of 1993 Rennie Harlan film cliffhanger. First of uh, its kind. It'll be amazing. First of its Ch- kind. Chapin, not only that, but it'll be another first if we get around to it. It'll be the first time that you and I record a pod literally together. In person? Never been done. Mm. In person. Yeah. So that'll be exciting, too. Yeah, real exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's like, I hope it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, he like, calls his streamer people, gets it taken off all platforms. All platforms. So listen up for that. Um, uh, I'm going to be on the Horror Draft podcast next week. Um, yes. I did see that Brantley asked the people from uh, Mission Recall to be on his. So a little offended that I had to watch. Jeremy, I know you are also offended. Um, so we'll see if Brantley ever makes it back on the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Tapin, I mean, this is not how we do the network. Oh, it's sorry. all about sorry. Like, what I meant was <laughs> And by network you mean competition. No, no, no. We're working together. Yeah. I have a We're, competition in me. I, mean, I want you no guys, one else to You guys are awful at this. The whole idea is to no, promote actually, and but, encourage. And Lee, I want you guys to tell like, you, I know, fuck those guys. <laughs> I know I told you this. I think you did a really good job on that podcast. Um I'm excited to hear you on on it as well. And Jeremy, they Brantley has said that he would like to get you on but even when i was on there i said i'm impressed that we found something horror related that i could be on so we you just got to think of something that you can yeah i just proposed a topic and yeah i think you do one on swingers just yeah just propose something (laughs) non-horror related the forger blows jeremy could finally get his opinion out on truffaut how you guys want to draft truffaut films truffaut tremendous horror director (laughs) thank you so much for listening look out for those two podcasts um if they if they start to get more listeners than us we're gonna have to stop promoting them but until that day uh i mean who knows i could be here so thank you so much for listening and uh send us your voicemail oh shit we didn't do that at the beginning of the episode send us your voicemails feedback at get your film fix podcast.com or feedback at gyff podcast.com get it Lee, I'll see you in 24 hours, baby. When I go home, people ask me, Hey, Hoot, why do you do it, man? Wow. Just some kind of war junkie? I won't say a goddamn word. Why? They won't understand. They won't understand why we do it. They won't understand... It's about the men next to you. And that's it. That's all it is.